So it looks like we are live for the third guest episode on Split the Difference podcast. It is an honor. <laughs> this is amazing. So we have Kyle Jones here, one of my very good friends. Uh, and I've been super pumped to have you on because I knew I was going to have you on eventually. It just kind of everything fell into place to be able to have you on right now. But it's going to uh, this is definitely going to be one of the guest episodes where it's just like, I'm just, we're just sitting around <laughs> talking and laughing. And yeah, I was, I was talking to my fiance, my fiance and his wife are very good friends. And so I was talking with her before I came over here and she's like, he's finally having you over. It took him so long. Like I was offended that he, you weren't the first one. I was like, nah, it's fine. I was like, he's probably just waiting to fill me in on whenever something breaks down last minute right, just to give right. me a call. Like, bro, I need you tomorrow. <laughs> That's literally exactly what happened. <laughs> Because, I mean, you got to have those people in your back pocket, right? That you can be like, hey, dude, I need you in a pinch. And they're like, cool, I'm going to be there for it. (laughs) So, a little intro. Who is Kyle Jones? Uh, So, Kyle Jones. So, I'm an entrepreneur. That's my my work life. Um, What do you do? So, so my company is called KJ Films. It's like a media company. So, we help people create engaging content to market their products and services. Um. So yeah, that's that's basically it in a nutshell. Cool. So you you're living in Columbia. Where are you from before that? So originally from a small town called Ware Shoals. Ooh, good old Ware Shoals. Yeah, tiny. I graduated the class of like sixty five. And that's probably. a public school, right? Oh yeah, it's a public school. <laughs> Single A, smallest of them all. It's like an hour and a half from where we currently live now. Uh, so it's close enough to go home, but it's also I don't feel like I'm still in Ware Schultz. <laughs> right, right. So graduate. Where'd you go to school? What'd you do? So um, I went to Columbia International for uh, college. I had a business and organizational leadership major there. Just went for four years. Started the company that I'm currently uh, working with now. Other company that I currently own now. Started that in college, and just been doing that ever since. Graduated in 2018. Gotcha, gotcha. So. Um, I guess a lot of, just because I know this, I could say this, but a lot of what you do is around in, I think like the real estate industry, you do a ton of real estate photography and stuff like that. And one of the questions that I think a lot of, I think listeners would think would be interesting is how the real, if the real estate industry has changed at all over the past year as a result of, you know, the extenuating circumstances going on and also how your work may have looked different as a result of the pandemic. Did it at all? Yeah. So... <clears throat> You know, the real estate market has definitely shifted a decent amount and looks really different from how it used to oh, a yeah. year and a half ago. Um, things are in some ways busier for us and then also in some ways maybe a little bit slower. It just kind of depends on the specific area. Um, so, yeah, so things have just shifted around so much for us. And, you know, especially like going into homes now, some people are very COVID conscious. Right. And then... Some are not at all. Like today, I was at this house of this ex-Marine, and I walk up to the front door, and he greets me. He doesn't have a mask on. He's like, I don't do that COVID stuff, and stuck out his hand <laughs> yeah. to shake my hand. He's like, I'm going to shake your hand, you know? So It really is amazing, the incredible difference between some people and how COVID conscious they would be and how not COVID conscious some yeah. people are. And it's like, it's definitely turned into like a political statement. You know, it's like if you are incredibly COVID conscious, you assume things about that person as opposed to if they're not COVID conscious, like you assume other things about them. And I, it's so, that's such a weird, like a why, why is that? I don't understand why it's such a political thing, how it got politicized mm-hmm. the way that it did. 
Yeah, it, it is really interesting just because we see such a wide variety. Since we see so many people every week, right? we see such a wide variety of people that are very COVID conscious and, you know, they want me to wear gloves, have hand sanitizer, like wear, wear three masks and right. you know, don't touch anything. And then you have other people that are like, it's whatever. Cough in here if you want to. Like, right. it's totally fine. You know, it <laughs> walk, doesn't matter. Walk around and cough under yeah. the doorknob. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a wide variety and just, you know, someone that might live next door to another person just right. tastes completely different. Completely so it's, different. it's very interesting. We always try to wear a mask regardless of wherever we go. Yeah. But, you know, you can tell almost in- instantly when you walk in whether or not... They're going to be upset. Yeah, they yeah. care. Yeah. Um, but we, we try to wear one regardless. And then a lot of times people that don't care about COVID, they're like, you know, you can, you can take that thing off. Yeah. Like, you don't need to wear that. So, But anyway, <laughs> it just it's very different depending on where you may be. So do you think the real estate industry, right? Cause there's a bunch of talk right now about where real estate's at. Okay. Like a lot of people are saying that's going to go straight downhill. Some people are saying that's going to continue to boom. Cause I mean, it's been one of the largest real estate booms like literally ever in the United States over the past couple of years. Where do you see it going? What's happening? Tell me. So that way I know what to do with real estate. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so we're definitely seeing a lower volume right now than what was maybe this time last year, probably, Close to 20% lower is the number that I'm hearing from a lot of brokers that I work with. So volume and if you're looking to buy a house is very difficult right now. Yeah. You know, I can speak to one broker and they'll tell me one thing and then I talk to another one. They say something completely different. But I think the majority of agents that I've spoken with and brokers that I work alongside, their general feeling of everything is that this summer things are going to begin opening up again Mm -hmm. and more houses are going to be on the market and you know, I don't know what that'll do to prices, but more volume would tend to mean that you're not going to have these crazy bidding wars like right. we're having, at, you know, right now. Right. Which are crazy. I mean, you can go to a house and they've got 10 bids on it. Exactly. And a lot of times they'll get 10 bids before the house even goes on the market. Right. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's wild. And that sucks for you because, you know, they yeah. don't even need pictures to sell That's the house. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, we always tell people, you know, using real estate photos, one, it, it can help sell a house and that is a large purpose of what it does, but it also is very representative of someone's brand. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times mm-hmm. people use it for advertising and, you know, this is just how they market their, their homes. And so we work with a lot of people that care about the professionalism, even regardless right. of whether, you know, quote unquote needs it or not. Right. So you, so you, wh- when you started this business, or I guess when you were going into school, were you like, I want to start a real estate photography business? That's what I want to do with no, my life. Not, <laughs> not in the slightest. I'd never even considered anything even close to that. It was kind of honestly just something that I fell into. Um, I, I honestly even never even touched a camera prior to, I think, my junior year of college. Hmm. I didn't know anything about cameras. If you would ask me what what's like aperture, shutter speed, all that of a camera, I would... So about like me. Yeah, right wouldn't, wouldn't have known anything, <laughs> you know. Um, it was really something that I just kind of fell into. The quick story is I was talking to my business professor in college, and I told her, I was a senior in college, and I was like, hey, I'm, you know, would love to have a job when I graduate. You right, know, like well, I, most people do. Yeah, I kind of like went here, spent a lot of money. Like I would love to love to have a job. Do you know anybody that's like hiring or anything? She's like, I, I don't at the moment, but I'll ask around and see if there, if I can find anything. So she went in posted on Facebook said, Hey, I have this student that, you know, I think could be a really good employee. If anyone's hiring, like, let me mm-hmm. know. A real estate agent reached out to her and said she was looking for someone just to put in yard signs and stuff like that. And my business professor texted me and asked if I wanted to meet up. I was like, I mean, 
I don't have anything else. So I'll <laughs> make sure well. I'll sit down with this right. lady. And so I sat down with her, we ended up talking. She found out that I had recently gotten into a little bit of camera work, both video and photos. And so she asked me if I wanted to take some of her photos for her listings. And I just said, yeah. Sure. So I went in, took a couple. Looking back on them now, absolutely atrocious. <laughs> they look awful. Um, it is embarrassing. Well, that's, it, how, it is, that's how it always goes. If it, you're starting yeah. anything out, you have to learn. There's a learning curve. Exactly. So... <clears throat> that was my first client. That was in September of 2017. Gotcha. Was whenever I photographed my first house. And it just kind of slowly snowballed from there and led mm. to, a, I guess, an official business. Right. By the well, time I mean, I graduated. it's official, yeah. right? Yeah, you make right. a good living. That's right. I pay taxes. <laughs> right. So it's official. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like in the early stages of starting anything up, there's obviously a lot of unknown and a lot of difficulty there. Um why, like, what is it like starting a small business? Because taking that leap is tough. There are a lot of people and you hear all these like Gary V's, right. And like, for those that don't know who that is, he's basically like uh, an entrepreneur that made a whole bunch of money. And his whole shtick is you have to just be out there hustling every single day. You've got to be grinding every day. And like, there's a portion of that that's true, but like there is also, it takes a lot of like just innate something in you, right? To be like, you know what? I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to go out and do it. How, like, where do you get that? Where do you get that from? Well, I was very fortunate because when I started my company, I was 21 and I didn't really have any other job prospects at the time. It was something that I was making a couple hundred dollars here and there. And so when I graduated, I was like, well, I, you know, if I'm ever going to take a risk on myself and try to start a business, I have nothing else at the moment, so why not just try to do this? And so for me, it was a kind of a, a why not scenario. For a lot of people, it's a much bigger risk because they're either giving up a salary or they you know, have responsibilities to family or different things like that. But for me, I was a 21-year-old kid yeah. who could live off of a couple hundred dollars a month, and so I really didn't need to do that much work to be able to provide for myself. And so when I decided to, when I graduated, I had, I actually had a full-time job offer working for someone else. And I remember calling my dad and I was like, you know, this is like a lot of money. I've never seen this much money before in my life. And my dad was like, yeah, that's a lot of money. Like, I think you should really consider taking it. And I remember in that conversation, I was just thinking, you know, if I'm ever just going to going to wing it, going to wing it. it. Like I might as well do it when I'm 21. Cause if I fail, I still have the rest of my life ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I ended up turning that job offer down and just went by myself. And the first year of my company, I made $18,000, which, which is not bad for which, a first year, which is not bad for a 21 kid right. winging it, you know? Right. And so obviously it's not a lot of money. Like I could have, would have made more money taking another job, but you know, I w I was, feeling like I could actually do something. Right. And so for me, it was just kind of something I fell into and found out that I really enjoyed. And it was something that I, I thought I could do. And so yeah. I just went for it. Yeah. Which is fortunate. Like, and so one of the things I think a lot about with work is like the vast majority of people don't enjoy what they do at all. Right. Mm. And finding something that you, that you love and that you hopefully can do for the rest of your life is, in, you know, obviously an incredibly beneficial thing, but there are so many people that either a hate their job or B maybe don't want to work at all. And I think a lot about like a ton of, if you, when you meet a lot of small business owners, a lot of them 
are obviously very averse to wanting to pay taxes and very averse to like they want to be able to keep their costs down. And it's because they know the risk that they put in on the front end. They've worked incredibly hard to be able to get to that point right there. And the idea of, you know, paying taxes or, or doing any, giving any of that money away is incredibly difficult. But I feel like when you have a salary, when you're doing your own thing, you don't necessarily see that money that's getting taken out. You don't really understand maybe the risk that's behind it from the business's perspective. And I've thought a ton about like, you know, work, I think in so many ways gives people a lot of purpose and it gives a lot people a lot of drive. And it's so much more uh, that is like exponentially greater when you own your own business and you have employees, right? Where you have to pay them and you're like, you know what? I got to put in the work in order to make sure that they can put food on their table too. Like, do you, like, what do you, I guess, do you think that in being an entrepreneur, you've gotten a better appreciation for working hard and making sure that the work that you do, even if it's difficult at times, does kind of give you a little bit of that drive or purpose? And I guess the reason why I ask that is like entrepreneurs oftentimes are very weird people. They seem to be incredibly driven and they're like a total breed on their own. You know, what makes them so much different than anybody? Like, I feel like you hear this Republican trope all the time of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and start a business. But like, can realistically everybody do that? You know? <clears throat> to answer that last question, I don't, I don't know whether entrepreneurship is for everyone. There's definitely a lot of stressors that some people would probably just prefer not to deal with. Not necessarily that they would be unable and incapable of doing it, but I think sometimes it's just not the proper fit for some people. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think the, the biggest challenge for a lot of people when they're starting their own business is you can lay in bed all day if you want to. You know, if if you're your own boss, you're the one right. that has to make the initiative to get up and, and do sales and make calls and, you know, make work happen. And so I think sometimes that drive for some people might be innate. Some people just kind of have that, that passion yeah. and that drive within them. Um. It makes me think a lot about like Andrew Yang's UBI and like the universal basic income stuff because the whole argument against it is like, what about the people that don't want to work at all? You know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to lie. That is a concern that I have with UBI. You know, the thought of like, there's people out working hard and doing all this stuff every single day to make sure that they can provide for the people themselves and the people around them. But then Mm -hmm. like, there are going to be people that don't that don't do that. And if you're giving them money every single month, it's just a drain on resources. Right. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've like read into or looked into that UBI stuff. Yeah. I'm somewhat familiar with it. Um, It's interesting though, because I feel like if you get, if you talk to somebody that, uh, works a salary job or, you know, you talk, especially if someone's maybe, you know, obviously a bit more left leaning, they're like a lot of times for a UBI, but I have never talked to a small business owner that's been like, yeah, I think a UBI is a great idea. And I think a lot of it has to do with like, they've had to risk it, you know, they've had to risk it and work hard every day in order to be able to make money and put food on their table. And it kind of is daunting to think about somebody else having to pay somebody else. But I think along that line, what entrepreneurship has taught me is, the reward for hard work, mm. 
because you know, that first year you mentioned Gary Vee is always like, you know, you got to wake up and grind and you got to put in that time. And I think there is a sense of reward that people receive that have been through that entrepreneurship process and have grinded and worked those 18 hour days for that six month stretch. Like they've done that. And then they see how the company grows because of that. And they see the reward that follows because of that hard work. And I think there's just a lot of life lessons that you learn through that process Hmm. that just something like a UBI can't teach people because being given something is not the same of seeing the reward and the, you know, the fruits of your labor. And so I think that's something that I really value from an entrepreneurship. Even if my company was to, you know, just disappear, I know that the values and the lessons that I learned because of this process will carry me well beyond in the rest of my life to where that would enable me to make a living in some capacity. Yeah. And I think just being, being given a wage without that work isn't preparing you for the future if something was to change. Right. Mm. No, that's absolutely true. What uh, what do you think has been the biggest lesson that you've learned? To put you on the spot yeah, completely. Yeah, put me on the spot. <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of things that... I think the most important thing for me that I've learned, now, I don't know whether this is... I don't know if I can say it's the most important, but the thing that comes to me right now is the need for boundaries within your life because I can definitely see how entrepreneurship can become a very consuming process. And it, it has for me over the past several years in some, in some you know portions of my life, but being able to separate and say no to some particular offers and business opportunities can be necessary just for your mental health mm. And I think that was an area that I really struggled with early on in my company because I felt like if I said no to opportunities or I, I said no to work, that I was killing my company because I felt like I had to say yes to everything in order for the company to grow. And early on, obviously, you want to take all the work you can, but it got to a point where you know it was just me at the time and I was working 18-hour days and you know my friendships were suffering, you know my emotional health was suffering. Like I wasn't getting sleep. I wasn't eating well. Like I've stopped going to the gym for a long amount of time because I didn't have good boundaries because I, I felt like I'd been in that grind for so long. I didn't know what it felt like to, to kind of ease up a little bit. Mm, Yeah. But you know, I don't know. Looking back, I don't know what I would have done differently. I just know I had to, at some point begin to distance and make boundaries within my life to look out for myself outside of just making money. Right. Um, Well, I mean, mental health is incredibly important. I was actually talking about, um, on the podcast that I'm actually going to end up rolling out tomorrow. Um, one of the big findings that they've had throughout the entirety of the pandemic is how much people's mental health has suffered, which has been really interesting. Like it's a, it's a weird thing to think about, like, the negative effects of a disease that help hurts you physically, how lockdowns and quarantines and being alone for so long actually damages people like mentally and emotionally in significant ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've been really, I, I've been thinking about that a lot because I think that that's something that, like is not talked about at all. Like you very, very rarely hear any health official or anybody within the government come out and talk about, you know, yes, you know, maybe we need to lock down right now, but, 
we need to really take into consideration the length of these lockdowns because of people's mental health and their emotional health. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a nuance. That's a difficult conversation that needs to be had. Right. Um, and I, I don't, that's just a thought that I've been thinking about a little bit over the past couple, couple months. It's like, I mean, you were fortunate, I think, because you didn't have to quarantine because you were an essential worker. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, there were a lot of people like in my position where I went home and I was working from home or think about if you got furloughed and you're just sitting at your house and you can't work, like that would be miserable. Yeah. It's not good for your health. No, can't be. Yeah. Exactly. And along those lines, the emotional health, I think you mentioned in one of your other guest guest episodes is, you know, it's also really important during COVID is just physical health. Yeah. And, you know, what's the best deterrent to help your immune system rather than going out and being physically healthy. Right. And so just along those same lines of when you started that quarantine happened, you know, I know I I fell out of the gym. Mm -hmm. My physical health started suffering. You know, thankfully, as you mentioned, like I was fortunate to where I was able to still go out and work. You know, but for those people that had to stay home all of a sudden, their life just changed drastically. Right. And then I imagine their emotional health suffered in, because of work life and then their physical life potentially changing as well. And so just a lot of different things kind of ha- all happened at one time that really just kind of right. formed, into this, yeah, it formed into this nasty thing that just hit people all at once. Yeah. So what do you think about, we didn't really have any lockdowns in South Carolina, no. not very much, not with McMaster. Yeah. We're a, we are a deep red state, yeah. right? COVID was not real. Um, what do you, so like in a lot of the states like California, New York and stuff, like what do you think about the lockdowns? Like, do you think they were good? Do you think they were beneficial? I'm not an expert. I just have an opinion. Right. <laughs> um, That's fair. So, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about science and how virology works and all of those things. All I could speak is from anecdotal experience of like what I personally encountered. Right. And, you know, I've had friends that were quarantined for, you know, days on end and they still got COVID. Yeah. And also I've had friends that have, continue to go to bars and continue to be with large groups of people. And then they didn't get COVID. Yeah. And so the quarantine was, has been difficult for me because it's like, I'm sure it helps. It just makes sense in your mind of, all right, well, if you don't get a hundred people together, it probably helps not spreading the virus. Right. But it almost seems like the spread, it, you know, obviously, I mean, this, the flattening the curve thing is what this was about is you want to just slow the spread. Not that you can stop the spread. But my thing has always been for these quarantines is at what point does the impact on emotional health surpass that the physical health that we're protecting by quarantining people of, you know, what are suicide rates doing? And I don't know the statistics for all this. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they haven't, there hasn't been a lot of clear numbers that have come out around it, but that's an interesting question, right? Like how many people are now suffering from severe depression and anxiety or, you know, what does suicide numbers look like? What does substance abuse look like? You know, like the alcohol sales went through the roof when the, when COVID started because people were going out and just buying a tons of tons of alcohol. Like they're just going to be sitting at home and like that stuff has far reaching yeah. consequences, like not just in 2020 and 2021, but like when COVID, we're all vaccinated and COVID is a thought of the past, people are still going to be struggling with alcoholism and depression and suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Like what's the balance there? And obviously there's no perfect balance. Like, and that's a, that's impossible to gauge, but, um, I feel like that nobody's talking about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I'm glad I'm not in that decision making. That's fair. Position. Yeah. Mm. You know, I don't envy the politicians that have to make the decision of do we continue to quarantine and potentially hurt people's emotional health and they might be struggling with alcoholism or substance abuse or depression or potentially higher suicide rates or do we let people out and then COVID just goes rampant. Right. You know, I'm not envious of that decision because that's almost almost a no, no win scenario. Right. And regardless of what they decide to do, someone on one of the sides of the aisle is going to criticize and hate them for the decision that they just made. Right. Well, I mean, the criticism from the opposite side of the aisle is always going to be there. It yeah. really is unbelievable. Have you heard, uh, have you heard about uh, Biden opened up the first immigration, uh, no, child no. immigration camps? So Biden reopened a child immigration camp that was in place when Trump was in office in 2019. And... Um, you don't hear anything about it on the news. You don't hear anything about it on the media. And these were all the same people that were, of course, like decrying Trump. Like he's putting kids in cages. He's a horrible human being. Like he is, of you know, the literal root of all evil. And Biden is doing the exact same thing. You don't hear anything about it. So like there, of course, there are a litany of examples. But like there are going to be people, <laughs> if you're a politician on the yeah. other side of the aisle, that are going to crap on whatever it is that you do. And we're living in a crazy political landscape right now. Yeah, uh, Politics is, for me has always been such a, it's just like an unfortunate scenario because when you have like media and politics and the way those two come together is the best stories are always the most controversial and dividing stories. Mm. You know, rarely ever do I see this great unifying article that points out the good qualities in both people on either side of the aisle. And then that's like the most read article. It's right. always like the best read is, oh, this is why Donald Trump is a sexist, sexist, racist and right you know or it's like oh this is why joe biden is just the worst person for president ever yeah you know just because the most clicks get these awful articles written right and they they make more money on it yeah and that's that's just so unfortunate that that is the truth is people would rather read these divisive articles that then spur Mm -hmm. on these companies to make more money Whereas what we all really want, I think everyone wants, is unity, but no one wants to read about that. Right. And so they don't give any money for unity. You know, and so that's why I'm screaming like, over here to split the difference yeah, podcast. That's right. You know? <laughs> that's my shameless plug for why Find I have the this sweet podcast. truth in the middle. Right. <laughs> the best podcast every time. <laughs> you can tell that man's listened to a couple podcasts that's right, right there. That's right. <laughs> all the best news and insights. I'm disappointed right. the next guest episode is going to be better than this one, but it's okay. I know <laughs> no. I'm, pre- I'm better than the previous two. There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> Best guest episode every time. Every time, dude. That's what you got to, that's what you got to, yeah. that's what you live for, you know? <laughs> so, uh, speaking of split the difference podcast and what I'm trying to do here. Okay. What do you think is the course of all of the political division that has been going on over the past four years? Because it has been, it's been craziness. And I'm obviously pointedly trying to come into a lane that's like both sides can be crazy, but both sides are all right at the same time. Do you think that there's ever going to be a legitimate chance for the partisan divide to actually meet in the middle at some point at all? Realistically, I don't know if it'll happen. Yeah. I would love for it to. I just... I have a hard time imagining the current landscape as it current as it is at the moment, getting to a point where people are serious about reaching across and being willing to hear the other person out seriously. Yeah. 
and making compromises or meeting in the middle in some way. Now, it could happen. I'm just not convinced based upon what I have seen so far that people will be flocking to do that. Yeah, yeah, flocking to find some sort of middle of the aisle. But there is this part of me that really thinks that because of the partisan divide that's been there for the past 40 years that people are kind of craving stuff. Like, I think there's a lot of people that are just burnt out on it. They're just super burnt out on politics. They're tired of hearing about Trump. People are tired of hearing the T word, you know, Mm. they're ready for things to kind of go back to some sort of normal. Right. But at this point it's like, what is normal? You know, like what are we, when are we going to get back to a place where it's like, we know what normal is now, especially coming out of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know what normal looks like for me. Life is completely different now. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you'll have to just kind of see where, where the road ends up taking you. I mean, like, and what if Trump ends up running again in 2024? It's just going to be bonkers. Yeah. I'm hopeful. You know, I hope we're able to find some sort of agreement in the middle and people would really love to see unity across the board in all areas. I think that's what this podcast was about, and hopefully people we'll start jumping on board and that'll yep. become a realistic thing. I mean, I obviously hope so, but I mean, you never, obviously you never know, but, um, so this is totally different tangent, but before, when you were going into college, you said that you weren't planning on going into business or weren't planning on starting a small business. What were you planning on going into? Like, what was your thought? What was your plan before that? Yeah. So f- before I made the switch over to business, I actually went to Columbia international originally for church ministry I thought I wanted to go into full-time vocational Christian ministry and -hmm. potentially work in a church in some capacity or maybe even go overseas and kind of just tell people about Jesus. Uh, That's a pretty large part of my life, of my personal faith. And so it was a serious contemplation of mine to spend the rest of my life in some capacity, either overseas or maybe here in the States, just telling people about Jesus. And I thought I wanted to do that for a living. And in some ways, I still do want to do that for a living, but I know I don't want to do it vocationally. Yeah. Um, I know I just I want to do that through my work and just through my life, but I know I don't want to get paid to do it. Um, kind of the, the way I explain it to people is I went to a, a public school growing up, and then I went to Columbia International for college, which is a private Christian university. So obviously you can imagine those dynamics are... Were, it was fairly different. Incredibly different. Yeah. Right. Incredibly different. <laughs> Public school in South Carolina is an interesting place. Yes, yeah, right. And I, I enjoyed CIU. It was great. I, I had made a lot of really great friends there, and I really enjoyed the community there. But in a, in a way, I missed the opportunities and the conversations I was able to have with people in a public in from public school of people that didn't agree with my personal faith. Yeah. And I, I really missed having those conversations. And so I knew that I wanted to put myself in a position going forward where I could engage in those conversations a little bit more frequently. Um, and, but I wanted to do that in the marketplace. And so that was kind of the decision-making process that I went through my freshman year. And so I switched over to business so Mm -hmm. I could work in a marketplace and be surrounded by those that might not agree with my faith, but are willing to have conversations around it. Right. And so I made that transition from pursuing Christian vocational ministry over to Business. Going into business, Correct. where do you think? Um, and we can we could obviously go on and on and on about this, but um, where do you think that, especially with the current state of where America is, 
do you think that persecution of Christians or at least uh, maybe adverse reaction to people of Christian faith has increased over the past couple of years, over the past decades? It seems like it has, right? I think everything today is, everything appears more prevalent just because of the way media and pictures and video and all those things. So we're definitely seeing it more. I don't, I, I can't say for certainty that it's like, yes, it's more prevalent now than it's ever been before, because obviously there have been many martyrs that have died for the faith throughout history for very, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I can say with any certainty that it's more prevalent now than it ever has been. But I do think that Christianity is in and of itself can be a very offensive faith. It is a very offensive religion. And what I mean by that is it, it stands very strongly on the principles that the Lord has laid out are very offensive to some of our culture. Right. And it kind of goes counter grain. And so in and of itself, it's a very, you know, submit to me and, and, and follow me and worship me religion to God and we have to submit to its scripture and not conform scripture to what we want it to say. Hmm. And that in and of itself is really challenging and a really difficult thing to submit to. And so I think Christianity, you know, in and of itself can be offensive to some people. And that's why you see so much persecution to Christians now is because what scripture says in and of itself, a lot of people don't like to hear. And so when that's being proclaimed, well, right, and especially especially with stuff that's incredibly emotional and tied to, like, who people think that they are, right, on the innermost level, like gender or, like, sexuality. Like, a lot of these things, especially in our culture, are they're very much tied to you You are that, right? You mm-hmm. are a, a gay man or you're a heterosexual, you're a straight white man, right? Like, those, those labels and those things that are placed on who you are at kind of, like, the core level are very, very important in our culture. And obviously there are places in the Bible that, you know, are incredibly offensive to that, depending on, you know, what it is that you believe. Um, and I think that like one of the interesting things that I think is like when I talk to like my parents or like my in-laws or like my grandparents when they were alive, like one of the things that they say is like, I feel like we are seeing a level of disagreement with, the principles that the Bible lays out now more than ever. Um, and I'm really kind of thinking about or worried about or confused. Like, I wonder where the church is going to go as a result of that, because there's been a lot of splits in churches in the United States. Like North America is one of the few continents in the world where Christianity is on the decline, uh, where the church is actually shrinking as opposed to growing. And I wonder in a lot of ways if it's because the culture wars, I guess that are happening is like, you know, the, that worldly culture that is so contrary to what the Bible says is like winning out in a lot of ways in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Or if it's in some ways almost kind of like kind of pushed by the government. Because I think that, you know, there's definitely an argument to be made that like the United States government in a lot of ways leaned towards the Judeo-Christian value and framework and towards its founding. Like obviously there were plenty of sins and plenty of difficulty that were there, but... um it definitely leaned towards a Judeo-Christian framework. Whereas now it seems like a lot of people are really, really pulling away from that. And that's where you see the conservative movement, especially gaining a lot of steam because they're like, we can't let them take away our America, our country. Sure. Right. But, um, I really do like, what do you think, 
where do you think the church is headed? Like as a whole, like big C church in the United States, where's it going? What's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, there is a lot of splits and disagreements amongst the church. Like I know you, we kind of made mention to some of those more controversial issues, but you know, homosexuality and, and gender and all those different types of things. I mean, even within the church, there's disagreements on that stuff. Right. And that's the cause for a lot of those splits. And so where the church goes in the future is, really tough because you're going to have some groups that are very conservative on those things and then some groups that are very liberal. And so I think the church is in, and very similar to culture is also kind of dividing as well because they're far, starting to find themselves kind of farther and farther apart as their ideas continue to develop of how they, how they're kind of interpreting scripture. Right. And so the church in a lot of ways is is developing in very different ways in the United States right now mm-hmm. and and splitting in so many ways and becoming very divisive. And so I don't know, it's that's really challenging. I, I don't know where it may go. Right. It worries me. Yeah. It does worry me a good bit. Um because I, I you know, there's a part of me that's almost like, you know, out of persecution and out of difficulty the church can grow from that and grow stronger. Right. But then there's this other part of me that's like, it's tough. It's tough to see churches splitting and fighting in the Mm. ways that they are, um, over, you know, things that in a lot of ways, it's like, you know, you should be loving and caring for people regardless, but understanding that like the church has to make a stand at some point, like they have to decide what it is that they're going to, you know, be about and have to decide what, Mm. you know, the, the theology and what they believe scripture says is, Um, and there's a lot of churches that just refuse, you know, to do that. Or there are a lot of churches that, um, want to, want to just stay away from that conversation as much as possible in order to not stir up discontentment and not stir up strife. It's almost like pushing away from that conversation seems easier than actually just standing and saying like, well, this is what we believe. But it's also amazing to me because I feel like Christians have been so straightforward about what it is that they believe for thousands of years now. Yeah, it's, it's it's weird because I think Christianity in some ways, and I don't know if this is like a new movement. I don't know if really this is a new thing at all, but Christianity, there's some Christians that are defining Christianity outside of the holy text. Like they're mm-hmm. not referencing scripture or scripture is not their main priority for their faith, which isn't very... Right. Christian. Biblical, right? Yeah. right, and right. So, because if you're if you're going to be Islamic, the Quran is your text, and so what the mm-hmm. Quran says is is what you should follow if you're going to be a devout, you know, Muslim. And so I would say the same thing for Christians is if we're to be devout Christians, we must look at the Scripture. What does it say, and then follow it for what it says, and let the Scripture define itself rather than us going in and trying to define the Scripture. And so, I, and I think we're seeing some of that not happening yeah. right now. If people letting their emotions getting involved and then letting their emotions dictate how they're reading scripture, which doesn't seem to be a very correct following of any religion, regardless of what it may be, is the holy text is what it is, what it is. And if you right. decide that that is your faith, if you make the conscious decision to say, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, then you follow the 
the Holy Bible. If you're right. say I'm I'm a Muslim, then you follow the Quran. Right. You know, right. otherwise if you don't do that, then that's doesn't, doesn't seem to be your right. religion then. Yeah. What do you see what kind of role do you see uh in the differences between and the separation of church and state going forward? Because there's an increasing push away from obviously separating and they've always been separated, I guess in some degrees in America, but uh, for a long time, the church had a huge play in in government and in what happened to government. Do you see that continuing to split apart, or for that degra- that divide to continue to grow? I mean, I'll be honest, I do. I mean, it yeah. seems like it seems like, uh, and I think that a lot of that comes with there are a growing number of people that are are not Christians that would not be professing Christians in the United States. So, like, why would they want you yeah. know the Bible? And I don't blame them for that. Yeah, and and honestly, like. I think that's something that, from a political landscape, and just you know, I, I don't feel a need as a Christian. This, you know, I haven't really thought this all the way through entirely. So, no one that's listening hold me to this forever. <laughs> but sure, we, you know, someone would make the argument that we've been that this country is foreign on Christian principles. But I'm not going to take my Christian faith and force that upon everyone that lives in this country. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. People have freedom of religion. And so if we're going to have freedom of choice, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, I don't want the church to get wrapped up in all things politics and and to demand that our say must be must be holded very like held very strongly. You know, like so that divide, you know, I I, It should be there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, and I think that that's a difficult place for a lot of Christians to walk. And like, I know that in my own faith, that's been difficult at times for me to parse through because there are a lot of things that become very political very quickly, you know, especially and a lot of them deal with and kind of interact with what it is that you believe on a, on a very value centric level. Um, but I do agree completely where it's like, as a Christian, your job is not to force your religion on anybody. Yeah. Ever. If anything, that's the exact opposite of what you should do. You should be, in a lot of ways, like what you're saying, like why you wanted to go into business so that you can just have simple conversations with people and say, this is what I believe and yeah. this is why it's it's true to me and this is why I appreciate you know, God's word for what it is. Um, and I feel like politics should be very similar to that. You know, people have a, but there definitely is this like idea of like a Republican Christian now where yeah. like you are, you're a, you are a Republican because you're a Christian. And that is so weird to me, Mm. especially, I don't know, maybe it's more prevalent in the Southeast than anything, but um, it's so interesting how, how how tightly those two things are tied together. I think for a lot of, for a lot of people. Um, But so uh, what you said, you were thinking about even going overseas. Potentially. Yeah. Like where, what doing what? Yeah. So I don't know. It was just a, you know, along that same line of talking about like sharing your faith you know, I believe as a Christian, if you hold to the teachings of Scripture, then you should be provoked to share that with other people. Because obviously, Christianity teaches if you follow follow Jesus and His commands, then you'll be with Him forever and all eternity. But if you deny the Lord, then right. eternity looks very different for you. Right. And so, as a Christian, I wanted to share that with people because if I had truly held my faith as true then I wanted to share that with as many people as possible to allow them to te- to show them this is what the scripture says, what you do with it, you know, the ball's in your court. Mm. And so I, there was a while where I really struggled in high school thinking of, do I 
want to just go somewhere where people may not be as familiar with with the Bible or with Christianity and share it with them just so that they're aware and they know mm-hmm. what the Bible teaches. You know, and that was something that I really just kind of asked myself and I never really got to a feeling very strongly about it or anything, but I definitely considered going somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where, but it was just a, a feeling that I thought I might have of wanting to go outside Doing of the United foreign States. Missions. Yeah. Yeah. In some capacity. Yeah. I was, I heard a story about, um, there were a couple of people that were, uh, basically they were at a church, some sort, and, uh, they met these two, this, a couple that was at their church from Brazil and the people walked in and they were like, Oh, welcome in. You know, you know, who are you? What do you do? And they're like, Oh, we're missionaries. And they're like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, where do you guys go on mission? And they were like, we're, we are on mission in the United States. We are missionaries for the United States. And the person was like, what? We don't need missionaries. Like, what do you mean? Why would you come to the United States? Yeah, it's funny people and, have that idea. And the person was like, yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you, yeah, you, what are you talking do. about? <laughs> yeah. It is true. Like, do you, what do you mean? Of course you do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how can you even say that? That doesn't even make sense. But there are obviously a lot of places in the world that need good charity and they need uh, the Lord to move and work in incredible ways in those places. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some dark and there's some incredibly difficult places on this earth. And like, I think that we're fortunate in America. We don't realize how fortunate we have it in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Um, but so uh, don't don't go into foreign missions, right? Decide not to do yeah, foreign missions. Yeah, decide not to do that. What, uh, what does it look like then? Um as a Christian living in America and being, you know, working and, and trying to have conversations or trying to, to live that out in the United States or I guess here in your local your local town, what does that look like for you on the day-to-day basis? Like, I mean, I have plenty of listeners that are not believers at all. And um, I think that maybe there's like kind of like this weird, um, maybe almost like for someone that's not a Christian, like what does it actually mean? to follow Jesus, yeah, you know, yeah, on a yeah. day-to-day level. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of, I guess, what my, within my work, what that looks like is just developing relationships with people. Because obviously I'm not going to, you know, get this new client that I've never spoken with before. And then as we first sit down at the first time, I'm like, all right, do you know Jesus? Let, like, let me tell you about yeah, my Lord and Savior. Yeah, exactly. You like get off your bike and you have your short yeah. white button-down t-shirt. Yeah, it just, it would make them feel uncomfortable. And like, I'm right. not about that. And well, that so, would make me feel uncomfortable if somebody did yeah, that to me. Yeah, I'd exactly. be like, what are you, get out of here. Like, so uh, I think for me, it's developing a relationship with the people that I work alongside. And then just getting to know them and know their life. And then as opportunities arise and conversations come up, I I may be able to make a transition to just talking about whether they have a faith or what that, what that may look like in their life and, you know, why they may decided to, to not have a faith or Mm -hmm. why they chose what faith they did. And so I think it's more of just a I like to have provoking conversations with people because I, I do think that as soon as you build a relationship with somebody and you have a friendship, like people are okay talking about right. it as long as you're not, you know, not talking to some stranger and then obviously like trying to convince them to become a Christian. Right. You know, I don't, well, nobody re- likes to be preached at. Yeah, exactly. Nobody. And I, I'm not in the business of convincing anybody to do anything right. with their faith. <laughs> right. Know? Like, well, I think that, uh, the idea of 
people are willing to have difficult conversations is so true. And people don't realize how true that is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that you, there's always this fear of whether it's about your faith, whether it's about politics, whether it's about whatever it is, there's always this like mantra or this thought of, oh, if you're ever somewhere, you're talking with somebody, never bring up like politics or religion, you know? And it's the idea that people just can't handle and don't want to have difficult conversations or be challenged with what they view or what their values are. But the vast majority of people that I know enjoy having conversations like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know? And if they disagree with you, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, you guys are still going to be friends. You're still going to have a relationship. You're still going to talk. Like, it's not like they're going to walk away from that conversation furious and angry, or mm-hmm. at least you hope not, whatever that conversation is. But there's this idea of having difficult or nuanced conversation is a bad thing, right? And it's not. That's a good thing. And, like, I... I don't, I don't, I don't understand why that, like, why, why, why are people against that? Why do people think that that's <laughs> not okay or not kosher? Yeah. I think a lot of people have been burned with those conversations. That's what I've found with a lot of people I've spoken to is sometimes they've had past experiences, just giving them a bad taste for stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. sometimes there's a lot of burned bridges that can be uncovered after you've developed that relationship with them. You realize, you know, this is why they are maybe a little callous to that. Yeah, And so, you know, it's a process. And like I said, I'm not in the business of convincing anybody anything because one, I, I you know, I don't believe I'm capable of doing that anyway. Hmm. I just want to have an honest conversation with somebody because, you know, regardless of whether someone's a Christian or not, I do think that their opinion on what happens after they die is... It's important. It's, it's an important conversation for somebody to just consider. Hmm. You know, if, if someone genuinely believes like after you die then that's it then okay but i still think that's a thought that everyone should consider because i mean that that is important right and so i think i think people are willing to discuss that just to hear other people's opinions and so it can be a very difficult conversation to transition into but the ones that i have spoken with are always very receptive but I also think it's because I'm not some stranger right. barking at them saying well, that you they're, yeah. you know, going to go to hell if they don't follow right. Jesus. You know, like, I don't think that that's like a... God, do not even get me started, yeah. dude. The guys on the street corner yeah. with the signs. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's going to hell. That's right. Oh, God. And that's the worst. It's so tough because I think, you know, Christianity in the United States has unfortunately been misrepresented by a lot of different people groups. You know, you can talk about like Westboro Baptist has given Mm. Christianity a really bad name. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but I was going to say, so I have a story about the Westboro Baptist church. So when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school, uh, Westboro Baptist church came to our high school and picketed outside of it. They had their little roped off section and like Westboro Baptist church for those, I guess that are listening and don't know what it is, is an incredibly radical, I would not call them a Christian church. They're called Westboro Baptist church. I would not say (laughs) that they follow Jesus at all. Uh, they're horrendous. I mean, terrible people. And so they came and they picketed outside of my school. Uh, and they do all that. The only way they're able to keep the bills on is when somebody attacks them or yells something or does something. Almost every single one of them have uh, are, are all lawyers, almost every single one of them. And they all have gone to law school, passed the bar and practice law actively. And the reason why they do that is so they can sue people if, and when people attack them. And 
Westboro Baptist Church comes, they're picketing, they have their all their signs, like terrible signs. Like, you know, God hates the F words, yeah. which I'm probably not going to say. Uh, God hates, you know, people in the military. Yeah. Uh, you're all going to hell. You're all going to burn. And at that point in time, I was not a Christian at all. I did not believe in the faith at all. And I remember leaving school in, in the car and looking out at that and being like, Dang, like, if that's what Christianity actually is, that's a pretty crappy thing to follow. And now that I am a professing believer, I look back on that and I'm like, it infuriates me. Because I'm like, that's so not at all. Like, you could pick up your Bible and read for three chapters, start in Matthew and read a couple of chapters, and you'd be like, that seems like the polar opposite of what this tri- this is trying to say, you know? Mm. And it's infuriating to me because it's like that, I feel like in a lot of ways, is what the popular opinion of the church in America is. Mm. And that's heartbreaking. That's mm. terrible. It just seems like it's the opposite of, you know, what the Bible preaches. And like, I don't know what the remedy for that is. You know, I guess it's just more people that, you know, are caring for people well that are Christians, but like, it's awful. Yeah. I think Westboro Baptist is again, another example of, you know, the negative stuff always gets the most publicity Mm. and gets the most clicks and gets the most reads. And, and so it's just another unfortunate case of like, that's where the money is for those reporters is to talk about Westboro Baptist and tend to represent them as Christianity. Cause then, you know, you get all the, you know, people that are, I guess you can call them like Christianity haters or whatnot that mm. will then share that. And then you got all these Christians that share it because they say like, Oh, I can't believe these people. You know? So like everyone's yeah. sharing all that stuff when in reality, like we're missing what the truth of scripture actually is right. because we're just sharing all this, all these heretics, you right, know, like right. God does not in fact hate really anybody. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. difficult for you to put that he hates somebody on a sign. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It is interesting to me to think about like, um, I think where where the movement of the church is going, like how how things are changing in America specifically, because I think that there is this especially I do think it's a generational divide. I do think that if you talk to our parents, they would tell you that America is a Christian nation and they're the city on the hill. Right. But if you talk to people in our generation, they don't see it like that at all, because the vast majority of my friends don't believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how that shapes out, you know, like what is it going to look like in a, and they're calling it a post-Christian United States. Christianity is no longer popular. Mm -mm. It is unpopular. Yeah. I would say it used to be, and I think COVID even kind of sped this process up in a lot of ways because, you know, there were people, especially when we lived down in the Southeast, there's a lot of people that would go to church every Sunday and, you know, Mm -hmm. that's just kind of what they do. It's a culture. Even even if they're not a professing Christian, you know, they're going to go to church on Sunday because this right. is what you do. And then COVID happened. And I think a lot of those people that just went to church to go to church kind of weaned out and they kind of dropped that in their habit. Right. And so I think COVID in a lot of ways made Christianity even less popular mm. because a lot of people just quit attending church because if they, if they were in that habit beforehand. Um, so which in a lot of ways is, you know, Maybe, I don't want to say beneficial isn't the right word, but it all of a sudden the people that make up the church body and are within those walls are all of a sudden much more genuine to what scripture actually teaches because those people are still there. Yeah. 
And so I don't want, I don't want to say that's beneficial. I think that's the wrong word, but I, I do think it, it, it kind of COVID changed the landscape and the people that were just culturally present have kind of stepped away because they realized that's not where their convictions actually lied. And that's not something that they were truly professing. And so I don't know. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. I think they are. There are plenty of people that decided that they were going to stop going to church. Well, they had to stop going to church because of COVID, and they likely won't be back. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a difficult thing. I think for a lot of churches and a lot of people to grapple with. I think especially in a place like the Southeast, where it is a very popular cultural thing yeah. to do. But um, you finish up with your bourbon. Yeah, I think I'm finished up with mine. You want to go ahead and call it there. We can. Cool. All right. So we can go ahead and call it there. End up the podcast. How can people find you? How can they find KJ Films? But you never even mentioned the name yeah. of your business, dude. Come on. Uh, I think you I shamelessly it, plug that. I think I said it at the beginning, just briefly. Um, so if you want to find the business, you can find us on Instagram at, at KJ Films LLC and then Facebook at KJ Films LLC and then our website, KJFilmsLLC.com. <laughs> Super easy. Yeah, easy I also money. have a personal Instagram, but I never post on it. So if you want to see stuff that's like five years old, then you can go find that too. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I'm going to be honest with you. The social media stuff has been tough for me. Yeah, I can't. I don't I've, my wife makes me do it because I, obviously I've got this podcast now and I've got to put stuff out on it. But yeah, also, yeah, you know, for the business, I have everything, which I don't do anything on the social media for the business. Uh, Matthew, who's actually behind the camera right now, works for me, and he's the one that's posted the social media. So, Matthew, mm-hmm. I really uh, I appreciate you for <laughs> doing all that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Matthew. It's, someone told me that they haven't seen anything on KJ Films in like two months. Can you can you post? Because <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. Word. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I think we had some cool conversations, some fun talks. So, um, obviously, you're welcome on any time. You're at my house. About once a week, so yeah, very true. <laughs> I'm sure if we need to throw you on a podcast at any time, we'll be fine. But cool. So thank you all for listening in. Thank you guys for checking us out. Our goal with these guest episodes is obviously to bring on a wide variety of different people that all think a wide variety of different things and challenge some of the beliefs that I have and that you have and that we all have. Uh, because that is good. Having having beneficial, nuanced conversation is always good stuff. You may hear something that you never really heard before. So with all of that, remember, as always, we're going to be level-headed, we're going to be reasonable, and we're always going to split the difference. <laughs>